Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Toon Aries podcast. I am your host, James, and I'm joined by my good friend, Timmy Lang. Hi, everyone. Ron is on the deck. Say hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. And this week, we have an American on the podcast. It's going to be like listening to the television. <laughs> Ellen Grobel, thank you, first of all, for contacting us through email, um, making yourself known. You're a 29-year-old lady from Chicago, the Windy City, and you are a counselor, a therapist. Um, before we get into all that, let's go way back. Who are you and where you're from for the people that don't know you? I, my name's Ellen Grobel. I grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago. Um, first moved to Ireland in 2012. So I've been here a good bit of time. Mm. Uh, psychotherapist, I'm working in Dublin. I specialize in a lot of work around uh, masculinity, working with men uh, and women and non-binary people around body image, things like that. Um, big one for me, shame and emotional expression too. Mm. Massive. Massive thing for me as well as the shame thing. It's just, mm. and, and sometimes people that have a lot of shame within them, they don't understand it. They don't even know it's shame. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, because they haven't researched it, are gone to somebody to talk about it. But they also don't know where it came from. And I'm hoping that we can start talking about a lot of that intergenerational shame, how it is passed on through generations yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, in time, but we, we, we'll go back to maybe the start. You know, and how did you, what brought you to Ireland initially? Um, do you know, well, I, I think initially, initially, I was so young. I was looking for a place to go on Erasmus. Um, looked cool, looked interesting, looked fun came over. Can you explain Erasmus? Because a lot of people won't know what that is. Oh, right. Okay. Um, we call it in the States, we call it study abroad. Yeah. Um, basically it is just, I had the opportunity to study somewhere else for a while. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go somewhere new, somewhere different, English speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, came here, kind of fell in love with a lot of different things about it. And stuck. Have you any family connections to Ireland? Um, I do in the way that every American probably tells you they do, yeah, where yeah, it's, yeah. you know, my great, great, great grandfather. was on the coffin ships and yeah, came through somewhere, some, So in that way, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but not yeah, close yeah, enough yeah. to be. That's a massive exciting. thing. When you go to Blarney, when all the, yeah. the American tourists yeah. come in and they start, oh, the Blarney storm. Mm. I guess this, this is what yeah. happened. Like we, we, we'd be out there. We were. In Blarney, as kids, when when all the Americans used to be coming, throwing their money into yeah. the w- wishing wells, thinking yeah. that their wishes, we'd be inside there with no shoes on, picking all the money over the fucking well. <laughs> you know, it was great back then. But yeah. you know, when you're looking at the the Americans coming to the likes of Blarney and all, we think like, what do they see in it? But you know what I think? Mm. Uh, what I learned later is 
like in Ireland, we've a lot of medieval castles and we've got drawbridges and very old city walls mm-hmm. and don't have that kind of history in America you know, yeah. because obviously America is a relatively new yeah. country for white people. Yeah. Obviously, there was a lot yeah. of Native Americans there before. You yeah. know, so I think that might be the draw. Yeah. But look, we digress. <laughs> What's the most pressing issue? We might as well go straight into it. What's Dive the in. most pressing, pressing issue for males attending your service? Do you know, I'm going to pick on it because I, I know you mentioned it a second ago there, but uh, shame is such, such a big topic. Um, and I think, in my personal opinion, it connects to so many different things uh, that almost always, no matter who I meet with, we'll talk about it at some point. Mm. Whether it's the presenting issue someone comes in with or somewhere down the way we'll find it kind of hiding mm. in a corner or something. But I mm. think it's a big a big piece of it. Would it be, would shame be like an umbrella term for like somebody that's embarrassed or mm. maybe they find the hard to disclose stuff to you because, you know, um, would it be like that? Uh, well, I'll tell you the definition of shame that I was kind of taught. So this is this is my language around it. People can change the word, they can use it. But the way that I, I was kind of taught and, and how I often use it in my work is guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I am something bad. Mm. So the concept being when I'm guilty of something, right, I feel bad and it's a functional feeling. It's actually good in certain occasions to feel guilt, right? If I'm flailing my arms around now and I smash this microphone, um, I feel guilty. And that teaches me something, right? I want to be more conscious of how I move my body. Um, I want to be more thoughtful of your equipment and, and what you guys do. If I feel shame, instead of any of that, instead, I knock this over and I go, God, I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. I've annoyed them. They're going to hate me now. Do you know what? I'll Maybe I'll just leave. Mm-hmm. Maybe I leave. Maybe I respond sort of erratically or whatever else. But the point is, and what I usually talk to people about is it's about me. And because that's such a strong feeling, I don't actually learn anything from it. And at best, usually it's paralyzing. Yes. Right. Um, so if I, that all happened now, I don't actually think oh yeah, do you know what? I should be more conscious of how I'm sitting. I'm off on this. They must hate me. They must be judging me. Mm. Maybe, you know, I leave, you message me and you go, hey, are you all right? And I'm like, I'm just not even going to respond to them because I can't believe how much I've embarrassed myself. Da, 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 da. Mm. It, it goes on its way. And it's all, it's all the person themselves working. Nobody thinks nothing. It's just, it's just innate. It's built yeah. in. It's, it's, it's within here and, and it's, like you could have done absolutely nothing wrong and this thing will come at you like a ton mm-hmm. of bricks and you'll freeze. I uh, just, it's like you lose your breath, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there was a few books that I would have read, you know, um, Healing the Shame That Binds You by uh, John Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. I would have touched off bits and pieces of that and uh, I would have looked into what uh, toxic shame was mm-hmm. and, and healthy shame. Mm-hmm. And the healthy shame is... is, is is simple stuff that people have, but a lot of us, a lot of us would have the toxic shame as well, which can really, really cripple a person and stop them from really moving on in life, mm-hmm. you know, in a number of different ways, because it's just the feeling of it is so, so, so strong. It just knocks everything back. It, it stops them from becoming that mm-hmm. person that they should be. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how 
that shame can be passed on mm. from different people uh, in family, say a mother to a son, mm. a father to a son, or the whole way it goes mm. through. Can you speak a little bit mm. how it happens in, mm-hmm. a, in a family home or maybe in a school or whatever mm. it may be? Mm-hmm. So there's so many different ways I think that it can find its way into our lives. Um, transgenerational trauma, such a big, big topic and, and point of research. Uh, and there are so many components to that too. Um, some are hereditary, right? Like genetic things that, that change in our makeup. Other things being connected to even how my family talks about a topic, right? So if I have transgenerational trauma around um, like scarcity of a particular resource and how does my family relate around food, around money, things like that can be so, so subtle, right? In, mm. in how they get kind of placed in the home. But now all of a sudden we're talking about money, we're talking about food, but it's actually about who I am and am I caring for my family? Am I protecting my family? A big thing I see often when I work with people too, is learned language from our families. The number of times that I talk to people and, you know, they'll be saying something really, really horrendous about themselves. And I'll say like, where have you heard that before? Because no baby is born saying, I hate myself. I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. It comes from somewhere. We learn that language from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And whether it's family members, whether it's in school, whether it's media, whatever else, it's learned And I think especially when you're really, really young, you don't have the ability, you don't have the like developed brain to be able to separate yourself from that. So it becomes, this is how people talk about themselves. So I talk about myself. It's my understanding that this country, right, and countries that were ran by different Catholic orders Mm. back in the the day, okay, Mm -hmm. because it's different now, they would have done more damage to people, I think, than any with themselves Mm. because the damn what they had done was something that the parents and the grandparents would have passed on to the kids Mm -hmm. and the kids, you know. So have you done any work around, say, what the church in Ireland Mm. have done in terms of shame down through the years? Mm -hmm. I I think it's a really interesting topic because, again, as you're talking about it, sort of separating the religion from the institution around the religion um, and how shame is often used for people too as a a tool of power Mm -hmm. um if you feel shame again we're talking about that paralyzing before it's very easy for me to uh talk you into things because if you say you're a really bad person and i say oh great uh, here's something that you could do to become a good person Mm -hmm. like who wouldn't crave that i've been feeling so horrible and someone's told me i could change that Mm -hmm. and going back to to you know talking about uh just learned shame Mm -hmm. too around like like the concept of original sin Right. And the way that's talked about is kind of you're inherently on this earth and you have sinned. And and, uh, again, how that's talked about in in different sects of Catholicism looks different. But a lot of that sort of you are good or you are bad. Right. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell doesn't leave much space. So oftentimes for people, if I feel like I'm destined for hell, it doesn't feel like I get into heaven. So why would I try? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really hard to get out of that place. I think talking to people and opening it up to say like, yeah, you can do things that you don't like, uh, but you can change. There is space there where you can mm-hmm. you can do things differently. I think we get that on a cognitive level. Yeah. Understanding that emotionally is a totally different conversation. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you help somebody that has shame and there's... I don't know, you're probably aware of the concept of the inner critic. Yeah. No, so the part of the mind that's negative, mm-hmm. uh, what's the opposite to an affirmation? Negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. 
how would you help somebody to, to come through that? Like, what are the steps people can take? Yeah. What, what what does it look like working with somebody that has a strong inner critic? Mm-hmm. Um, first step, always noticing it. I think that's actually something that is harder than we think it is. Noticing that I'm doing that, right? And, and noticing, I oftentimes ask people like to, and, and I make them like say out loud to me what you're saying to yourself, right? Or write it down. Because in our heads, we're going, oh, yeah, I'm a bit tough on myself. And when someone writes it on paper, saying I'm a horrible person, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm saying, I, you know, I, I'm bad. I'm inherently bad. That's pretty strong language. But when it's in our own head, we go, oh, I'm being a bit tough on myself. Mm-hmm. So much more than that. So I think noticing it is a huge step. Um, in my dream therapy world, we can start immediately responding with some positivity for most people. Um, it's similar to the, oh, are you depressed? Go for a run, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, I, I, how do you want me to get there? Uh, I My style of work has often been <laughs> described as direct and irreverent. Um, and I think different therapists practice this different ways. For me, most of the time, when people are caught in that trap of, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Um, I'm not God, so I don't care. Yeah. I actually don't need you to find that out. I, mm-hmm. I don't care. It's not our problem right now. We're talking about changing a behavior or changing a thing that you're doing or not doing. How do we do that? If that inner critic comes in, I just want to say like, all right, cool. You think I'm a bad person? Mm-hmm. Great. Um, I want to try to do this thing that I've been struggling with. I think that's so much more accessible for people mm-hmm. to be neutral about themselves or or just pause that and just get it out of the way rather than getting rid of it because usually these things have been built up over years and years and years. Mm. And if we've been doing that since we were children and I say, that's not very nice. You can't remove it overnight. Um, mm. So I think it, it's a lot more. Yeah, yeah. And you know, people in early recovery, uh, like think, think of my own, my, my own experience of having a very strong inner critic yeah. through uh, early years, through addiction, where your self-esteem is very low and your confidence and you're doing things that bring a lot of shame and guilt the critic, you're bad, you're terrible, how could you have done this and all this. Then in early recovery, if you listen to that part of your mind, you'll never do nothing with your life because you're not good enough, so why would you try? Mm-hmm. But when you're in early recovery or when you're trying to rebuild your life, it doesn't have to be addiction. It can be recovering from anything, mm-hmm. recovering from mental health or mm-hmm. breakups or job loss or some dark period in your life. You, you, like you're not going to get rid of the inner critic. But I, I found that the more you acknowledge it, and do what you wanted to do anyway, mm-hmm. the more control you get over it. And like, even in my best days, I still have that inner critic. Mm. It's just, I have more control over it and it's there, but it's very, mm-hmm. it's very, uh, it's not as loud. It's, mm. it's not, but when times under stressful times, times get tough, then it gets amplified again, you know? Mm-hmm. So like you're right. And when, when you said like, it doesn't disappear, it's just, you have to acknowledge it. It's there and still, Kind of drive on, as we say, in Ireland, you know. The book that Timmy mentioned last time, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, Mm. is a bit of that. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's there, but it doesn't have to control your life. Mm -hmm. And I suppose going back to that book, like, you don't even have to read the book, just Mm -hmm. read the title Mm -hmm. and and live off that. But before we kind of progress into a lot of other stuff, I I just, you know, um, people have been abused sexually Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. A lot of them, people go through their lives in complete shame believing that they've done something wrong mm-hmm. because of different forms of shame. Why has why has abuse such a hold over people mm. in, in that area mm. in their own shame? Mm-hmm. 
So I'll speak to, I know you mentioned um, when people are younger, uh, this can happen obviously when someone's at any age as well, Uh, but especially when we're younger, um, when you're like talking like five, six, seven, developmentally where your brain is, you actually can't even really understand other perspectives. So Mm. right now, you know, if they said, oh, oh, what does James see? And I was a child, I'd say, "Uh, James sees the same thing I see. Mm-hmm. And you say, oh, but James is sitting somewhere else. And I'm like, yeah. And so James sees this. We can't understand other perspectives. So what happens when our brain is at that stage and basically a bad thing happens is my brain goes, there's a reason why a bad thing happens. All I sort of have in front of me is me. Mm-hmm. So I need to solve this problem because I don't want a bad thing to happen again. So it must have been my fault. I must have done something wrong. And in a way, obviously on the surface, it sounds so, so cruel, but in the way it's, it's a child's mind trying to cope with a bad thing. I want that to not happen again. How do I soothe myself by saying, yep, there's actually rules and a system and you can guarantee this doesn't happen again. Mm. If you just shut off, Mm -hmm. shut off as Mm -hmm. in like emotionally completely shut off Mm -hmm. because that would have happened in my own life, Mm. completely shut off. And, um, but there was still no understanding. As I kind of developed then and got yeah. older and older, there was no understanding of where that stuff even it, it just came from. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's, it's the same as for 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 men and women mm-hmm. that are gay. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly men, and it's so so difficult for men to come out mm-hmm. because of of the society, mm-hmm. because of the, the the way society looks at men that are gay or women that are mm-hmm. gay. And, and the shame that it is 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 kind of is carried on from maybe the church years and years ago, like where to be homosexual was a crime up until the worst thing ever, you know. Yeah. So that kind of shame it does be carried on, mm-hmm. and, and even a lot of men that are married and stuff are are, are living their lives mm-hmm. as in and their gear, mm-hmm. and it's it, it's it's very very sad. Do you know there's a term now? Called uh, men who have sex with men. Mm-hmm. I only heard that recently, so mm-hmm. it's like now you can explain this probably better mm-hmm. than me. But in my understanding, as these can be men that have girlfriends, wives, or might be single, but they happen to just have sex with men, but they wouldn't be class themselves as gay. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it depends on who you ask and obviously their own sort of identification with it. Um, I know it from a sort of psychological and research perspective yeah. uh, because I had friends that worked um, in inner city Chicago uh, doing a lot of HIV and AIDS testing. And what they found was it was really, really difficult to get um, some of the people they wanted tested and treated because people were very, very hesitant to say, I'm gay. Mm. And and part of that is their own identity. Part of that, right, is the internalized homophobia, external homophobia, and all of that. Uh, but what it meant was people were getting uh, not able to access the care that they needed and mm. wanted. Um, and once they can open that up to people, and even if people don't know themselves, but I, I don't know how I label myself. I don't know what any of this means. But I do know that I have slept with a man at whatever point and I want to get tested for this thing, it just opens up the door to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more and more you can just open up space because like it, like for for someone offering treatment, like I don't care whether you will say to me yeah. that you identify as gay or not. I just want you to get what Help. you need. Yeah. The help that yeah. you need. 
Yeah, I think we, we interesting, co- isn't it? Covered the, the shame area. There was a lot went on there yeah. for a long time. Well, I'd say no matter what we bring up here, like yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask about yeah. was body image, yeah. because you said in your emails and all yeah. this, people are presenting with that. There's a lot of shame around that too. Do you think that, like the obvious thing here is social media? Yeah is pressure is would you agree with that uh social media is a huge pressure i think um i think especially too because i've always been working uh, a lot with body image issues um disordered eating things like that um and historically it affected women significantly more than men unfortunately men are catching up Mm. Um, and it's, it's getting quite close at this point. And I think uh, social media is a big, big part of that. Uh, everyone kind of feels more pressure to look a certain way or act a certain way. Obviously there's so much editing, editing on social media and all of that yeah. too. Uh, what's also happening, which is a good thing too, is we're increasing our awareness of what disordered eating looks like. So a lot of times, um, people don't know to the definition of anorexia being restrictive, um, and bulimia being, uh, binging and restricting bulimia also includes um if i go to the gym excessively in response to eating uh, whatever at a certain day that counts as bulimia eating an apple and doing 100 burpees Mm -hmm. afterwards yeah and people don't they people have these kind of you know preconceived ideas of what bulimia means or whatever else so there's actually a lot more people being included now that weren't before that were engaging in disordered eating behaviors Mm -hmm. uh it just wasn't labeled at that at the yeah. time so. even um in my own experience of you know going through health and fitness and different yeah. stages i always found um calorie counting to be very um like i'd get a week or two out of it i might even get a month out of it mm-hmm. you know where i have my goals and i have my macros and my micronutrients and I have my proteins fats and carbohydrates mm-hmm. and i feel that my body composition starts to change and i feel more confident but it it becomes so restrictive and becomes so yeah. obsessive then that it ends with a binge and a blow for mm-hmm. about a week where yeah. you just stuff your face with shit and then this that shame comes back and the guilt of all that hard work mm-hmm. and effort and you just saw uh, some no some people the calorie counting works from you know mm-hmm. but it can be a trigger for others, you know, mm-hmm. anybody going, and we've covered eating disorders on this podcast mm-hmm. a few times, you know, um, but one of the topics we haven't covered was overeating mm-hmm. and you don't have to be a huge person to be an overeater mm-hmm. and you can have it in like in, in stages at, at, you know, at certain points mm-hmm. for you. And another thing what people might be aware of is overeaters anonymous isn't a room full of big people. Mm-hmm. Overeaters anonymous is there for under eaters too. It's there for bulimia, anybody that have issues mm-hmm. with food. Mm-hmm. Have you got a lot of people coming to you mm-hmm. for that? And is there men coming to you for eating disorders? Uh, yes. And I think something that's interesting too, just sort of in the context of, um, so I've worked in, in these areas for years and years and years, uh, oftentimes, um, disordered eating and body image issues are connected to other things in our life. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of times, uh, it can be an avenue through which we feel control in our lives or through which we feel good about ourselves or whatever else. Um, and when the pandemic started and when lockdown started, I heard from so many people that I worked with years and years and years ago. Uh, and, and a lot of the things they'd experienced before had come back and it's, it's a huge avenue for people to, um, regulate, to Uh control themselves, right. And, and to feel in control. And obviously a lockdown is a place where we all felt a lack of control. Um, and I think that's, that's one place for, for a lot of people 
it shows up, right? And whether that's control in um, the cycles you mentioned, right? Uh, I'm overeating and then I'm responding to that and I'm overeating, whether it's restricting yeah. or whatever else. Uh, in a lot of different ways, I think the I think lockdown should have. In the quiet space mm. of the lockdown mm-hmm. where you're at home, you have no activities because everything is closed, work, the whole lot. Mm-hmm. I think whenever the quiet space comes, the shit comes yeah. at you. Yeah. Mm. You know, um, and we spoke numerous occasions about men in the construction industry, mm. how how a lot of them would have struggled with their mental health mm-hmm. because being active and using their hands and being busy and oh, flying here and flying there yeah. kept them out of their heads. Mm-hmm. Then they were having their few pints in the evening or going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Everything was locked. You know, every single thing was locked and men struggled and women massively mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. you know. But um, before we started uh, the interview, we mm-hmm. were chatting and yeah. we were talking about body image, mm-hmm. okay, um, in a different way, mm-hmm. okay. And for example, you look at me, I'm, I have tattoos, you know, um, and years ago I would have been involved, I, I would have took steroids to be muscular mm-hmm. and all these different things, you know. And looking at myself now today, I understand why I built up that little bit of an image for myself, because it was like to say, hold up there, stay away, that cunt is mad, stay mm-hmm. away from him, he's fucking big and he's, he's tattoos and, you know, we all had that description of someone with tattoos years ago, oh, he's a criminal, he's after being to prison, don't go near him, he's mad. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, about that mm. and, and why particularly men build themselves up with muscles and tattoos and just to give off that kind of image. Can you tell us a little bit what's what's behind that? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, f- well, first off, obviously there's no correct or incorrect way to look. And mm. if people find things that suit them and suit their personality, fantastic. Usually what I get curious about when I'm talking to people, and particularly men about this, is just if we pulled that out, Right. If I could remove your tattoos right mm. now, magically, if that would sort of pull the rug out from under me and and, and destroy everything, then it's something to look at. Yeah. If it's, do you know what? I really like this. It's a form of expression in art. Fantastic. And I just want us to kind of explore those when I'm talking to people mm. about what are the things that I'm holding here because they need to be here. Uh, and that's always something to kind of explore, especially for, as you're talking about, um, with men and masculinity uh, and sort of the idea of like what it means to be a man, right? Obviously, uh, you guys have a different experience than I do, but oftentimes when I talk to men about this, so much of it is like this concept of toughness, right? Mm. And, and strength and this sort of idea that that's what I'm supposed to be. And, and uh, obviously, when I talk to people about this, I have my own opinions on what strength means, what toughness means, but we kind of have this stereotype in society that you have to look a certain way you have to come off in a way that people are hesitant to approach you, yes, right? And, yes. and that means I'm strong. That means people leave me alone. It's mm-hmm. a very protective way to live as well because I can kind of keep people at a distance. Yeah. And if they get too close, I can spook them <laughs> away again. Yeah, that was the yeah. whole theory of, of of the muscles and the tattoos. Mm-hmm. It was to, to keep people away because mm-hmm. of um, my own development wasn't... It wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't after developing. I was still a child within a man's body, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to cope and manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I built up these different forms of uh, these different things, the muscles and everything else. Just so it was kind of like 
I wouldn't be attacked, you know, but if someone had said boo, you know, mm-hmm. and bullying would have been a massive part of why I kind of turned out to be like mm-hmm. this um, from being bullied as a young child. And um, that's my kind of understanding. And it was it, it, it was a great point that you, you, you made there at the, at the start. Um, some people just like being unique mm-hmm. and, and it mightn't, it mightn't be anything behind mm-hmm. it, the way they look. But for me, it, it was, it, I look back at my life now and it was definitely the muscles and the mm-hmm. tattoos were there mm-hmm. because growing up, I looked at people with tattoos and there was f- people, they were mm-hmm. feared and fellas with muscles were, oh, stay away, he's big, mm-hmm. he fucking rip your head off. Mm-hmm. And that was my hold on. Mm-hmm. That was why, these were my reasons for the way I looked. Mm-hmm. No, it's not like that. Oh, I know I can just be myself, you know, mm-hmm. and, which is great. Mm-hmm. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, and... I just want to look the way I want to look because it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. I like feeling fit and I like art because now I look at my tattoos and they represent the stage of my life mm. where I look at them and oh yeah, that's, I have the gladiator. Mm. That's the period of my life where I was really, really fighting through mm. life and it was a bit of a struggle. Mm. And then I have a lot of mad shit on my back and it was like going through the period where I wanted to be a fucking gangster. Yeah. You know, all that kind of mad shit. Mm-hmm. So um, they remind me of something. Mm-hmm. Then I'd have this here went through a, a period of my life where I was struggling mentally. Mm-hmm. And Dr. George Spencer came into my life and I started using his work mm-hmm. to try to understand my thoughts and mm-hmm. emotions and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's it, people wear these different masks mm-hmm. to, to get away from something. But behind the mask... There is the complete, the calmness mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. What's your understanding of that? Um, uh, yeah, I think it. One there's of the, a lot said. No, 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 no. <laughs> one of the things that actually interests me the most behind all of that is I know we're talking about the kind of um, appearance aspect, right? Of of that sort of toughness and what that means. Uh, but I think another big piece of this whole idea of masculinity and being a man uh, that I talk to a lot of people about is mentally 
and emotionally, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to feel. Um, and now this is a vast generalization. I know it's more complex than this, but oftentimes I'll talk to clients about the fact that for men, you're kind of offered emotionally, you can be angry or you can be grand. Those are your two options. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you don't pick one of those, too bad. Find mm -hmm. a way to fit it into yeah. one of those. Uh, Obviously, men are humans, so unfortunately, you feel more than, than just yeah. those two things. And what can happen over time is when I get so trained into those are the only two things that I'm allowed, uh, all those other things get kind of pushed in the corner. And a lot of people get to the point where I'll talk to a lot of clients and I'll, I'll say, how are you feeling? And they say, I don't know. Mm. I feel a thing. But I, I actually don't know the name for it. And I have these things. I don't know if you're familiar, if you've seen before, um, emotion wheels. Yeah. It's, it's a wheel of, are you familiar with it? Have you seen it before? I've seen it. Okay, yeah. 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 It sort of starts out, the center of it is those base emotions, anger, sadness, and it kind of branches out from that, uh, a more complex emotions, right? I feel disappointed. I feel frustrated. And I offer those to people often because sometimes we just don't have the language. Mm. Right. I feel a thing, but angry feels too strong, yeah. but I don't feel nothing. And, and oftentimes we can feel the pressure to dismiss that then. Oh, I'm fine. Right. Like, oh, oh it doesn't really matter. Mm. And if we can open up some space to just kind of like get curious about your own mind, there's more in there mm -hmm. and we get to kind of explore that and learn more about that. And I think besides just knowing yourself better, cause that's nice. Uh, it helps me sort of learn how I'm in the world, right? Mm. How I'm living, what I feel, what I need, what I want to ask for. It takes knowing like what's going on in my head. Mm. And not everybody, like not everybody has that emotional intelligence. Mm. They're not able to put yeah. names on emotions or they might feel a certain way. They might understand yeah. that like they have like, um, happy and basic emotions, yeah. but then the more nuanced ones, they mightn't be mm -hmm. able to put a word on mm -hmm. them. So that's one of the best things of therapy I found mm. is to just, and Timmy said it all mm. before, just being able to understand what you're feeling and be able to like put a name on it. Um, and 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 once you're aware of something, mm. then you can work towards addressing mm -hmm. it. Yeah, but, it um, takes time, though, don't it? It takes, it takes time and part. effort as well. Yeah, it's it not easy. Like yeah. the psychotherapy is not easy. Mm. You know, you just and you need um. It can be frustrating as well. Mm. For somebody uh, angry, that. is that yeah. frustration anger? Yeah. It can be frustrating. Like, I'm what way am I supposed to feel? Like, yeah, do you know, this is me. Mm -hmm. Now where it comes, I'm all, yeah. like, what do you feel? I don't know. Yeah, and I used to get very, very ang anxious, angry then because yeah. I was saying, "Fucking hell, this guy is telling me I should be like, what way? I didn't know how to feel because mm -hmm. I was completely shut off for thirty, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. nearly thirty years and." Here I am trying to learn all these different fucking ways to feel and I haven't a clue what he's saying because mm -hmm. I didn't know that language of feelings, the emotion. I didn't know that language. Never mind know what yeah. I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the language. Yeah. All I knew were the basic ones. James mm -hmm. said anger mm -hmm. and just completely yeah. happy then when I was stoned yeah. or whatever, mm -hmm. drunk or whatever. In my experience then I had, I had a kind of more have an understanding around some of the uh, negative emotions mm. right in, in when i was in residential treatment for addiction mm -hmm. there was one or two people in there i clashed with other people know in addiction too mm -hmm. and when you're in a, a residential rehab like that it's like a powder keg for people that are very hurt and people that are all finding their own way and mm -hmm. dealing with their own shit that they've experienced and when you get people 20 people or 12 people in a room things can you mm -hmm. know, yeah. spark fly so there was this guy who used to really get on my tits, I mm. swear to God. And uh, 
So the therapist would come to me in a group setting and only say, James, what are you feeling? I'm saying, I'm annoyed. And say, no, what, what are you really feeling? I'm frustrated, but I'm frustrated, but I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. Because no, I'd be more of um, um introverted, mm. I think, by nature, mm-hmm. and I would repress a lot of the ang- a lot of that strong emotion, you know. And he says, James, are you fucking angry? And I said, I am angry, you know. And it was then I started to yeah. get kind of, yeah, I am fucking angry. Mm. And I said, oh, you're allowed to be angry, and I don't want to fuck. And, you know, in, in a safe environment like that, you can get it and just yeah. get relief from it. Yeah. And yeah. you don't always have to be repressed, yeah. you know what I mean? Because when you repress it, it's not good for you. I would harmonize it. And we had Bessel van der Kolk yeah. and Gabo Mate speak at length about repressed emotions and how that affects us physically mm-hmm. and emotionally as well, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes though, uh, and this is my f- very, very firm belief on, on um, being addicted to alcohol and drugs, yeah. you know, because if a lot of people get a lot of different issues because of trauma mm-hmm. and stuff like that, mm-hmm. health issues and mm-hmm. things like that. And I came out of addiction not, with not one health, health issue. Mm. Mental health issues, definitely, mm-hmm. but not nothing wrong with my body. Mm-hmm. from uh, Because I never thought of anything mm. but drinking drugs for mm. t- 20 years. Mm-hmm. like, And it was my, I'm only understanding this now as in mm-hmm. one of the main reasons of, uh, of why I actually wasn't probably physically, physically really unwell I- internally. You know, like a disease... It was because of the drugs, mm. because I actually didn't give myself no time to think about anything. Because mm-hmm. the drugs is a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. if you don't have the drugs, um, not saying people that have you know, emotional issues and illnesses should go and take drugs, you know, mm-hmm. maybe go see therapists instead might be the better thing to do, but uh, drugs are a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. and if they help you get through that period in life, then, and, um, then move on to the therapist. Mm-hmm. But one thing I wanted to ask you was about... You work with couples. Mm-hmm. What's it like working with couples? Um, do you enjoy working with couples? Mm. And what kind of issues do couples present to you with? Mm. Um, I do. I think it's really interesting work. Uh, obviously, the more people you have in the room, it always gets more more interesting. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times, like it sounds so like kind of classic, but communication is such a big thing. Uh, and, and a big piece of that too is I think understanding each other's perspective and, mm. and what things mean to us. Right. So we're talking about like, right. Trauma and things like that. Um, if I have a history in my family of violence and aggression and my partner doesn't, and we are in an argument and he raises his voice, to me, danger, Mm. right? To me, this is, we're at risk. Something really, really bad is going to happen. To him, it may mean kind of annoyed, Mm. right? And so I'm responding as if I am in a serious threat. I, you know, I'm making up examples here, right? But, uh, you know, I threaten ending the relationship. I leave, I storm off. I say, I hate you, whatever else. And to him, he's like, we're just having an argument and she's, Mm. you know, going wild about it. And, and just being able to have two people sit down and recognize, like, what did that mean when I said that? What does that, what am I, what is the intent of what I'm saying? What was the impact of it? I think very rarely do we talk about those things, right? We get so lost. And this is for all of us, right? Uh, that it's so easy to get lost in the, we separate it, uh, the content and the process. So the content is what we're talking about. The process is how we're talking about it. Mm. Content, right? I, I don't know how many times couples will come to me and, and we spend an entire session talking about the dishwasher. Uh, mm. No one in the room actually cares about the dishwasher. Mm. It doesn't matter. I can say one of you legally has to clean the dishes for the rest of your life. 
too bad. doesn't really matter. It's about how they're talking about it. There's so much underneath that of what it means, right? Whether it's power, whether it's talking about fairness, respect, understanding, a million and one things, it just takes the form of yeah, yeah. dishwasher. Yeah. Just yeah. stuff that's irrelevant. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just the unconscious part of them, each of them mm-hmm. trying to run away from the real issues that need to be spoken yeah. about. And that's normal behavior yeah. for, uh, for human beings. Uh-huh. We never... We always, we, we, we'll try every opportunity that's there and raising and just to get away from the real in-depth yeah. stuff that's going to make us feel a little bit uneasy. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's the whole part of, of any form of recovery mm-hmm. is dealing with those uneasy parts mm-hmm. of us, uh, and, and talking about them and setting them free and, yeah. and, and, and even just forgiveness is a massive, yeah. massive part of recovery for people. Yeah. It's about forgiving yourself anyway for number one. Mm-hmm. That's the most important mm-hmm. thing is forgiving yourself for whatever you believe you've done, you know, and forgiving every everybody else. And just mm-hmm. that, that takes a lot of hard, a lot of work. It, 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 it means you have to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and allow yourself to open up your heart yeah. and just leave people in and mm-hmm. trust people. And that's a big, big thing for somebody who mm-hmm. has had a lot of trauma in their life, uh, had different issues, abuse, physical, mm-hmm. mental, sexual, whatever mm-hmm. it may have been. It could be really tough, but it is the only way to freedom. Mm. It is the only way to live in a fulfilled life, carefree. And it's mm-hmm. the only way that's just in a, another big word as well related to it is surrender. Mm. And acceptance, you mm-hmm. know, surrendering to whatever way you're feeling and accept whatever situation's gone on for you, mm-hmm. you know, if you're powerless over it. If you can change something, fair enough. Mm-hmm. But if you can't, just keep going. And that's all part of, uh, is it emotional literacy? Is it? That's another big word that you, yeah, I have can, to say it, it slowly. Can, yeah. <laughs> emotional literacy, um, emotional expression. I think emotional awareness, right? Just understanding how we feel. That's a big one. I think it was... I think the episode you had with Gabor Mate was talking about uh, this sort of idea of being friends with these parts of ourselves. And I think that's a huge part. I always talk to people about that with emotions because uh, they get such a bad rap, right? Mm. Anger, fear, all of those things. I don't like them. So mm. I kind of push them away. Um, spoiler alert, if you push them away, they'll come back at one point or another. And I think if we can be friends with those parts, like every emotion, the way I see it is the point of them is they're telling me a message. Mm. So they're actually really, really valuable messengers. And if my fear is trying to tell me a message and I'm pushing that away, it'll just keep shouting until I get the message. And usually by the time it's shouting, I've worked myself up to a level that I think something Mm. is much more risky than it is or dangerous or whatever else. And, And all of these emotions, like they have a purpose and a function. Like I talk about fear. It's a good feeling to have. There's a purpose for that feeling. Keep you alive. Yeah. If, if someone threw a tiger into this room right now, yeah. we would all feel anxious. Hide behind and, and correct. Like, correct. We should be feeling anxious. And, and that's what it's for, right? It's a good and healthy feeling. The problem is uh, emotions, the way they work is they're split second decisions. So inherently, they will be wrong sometimes. Yeah. And the practice is saying, I'm friends with this part. And when it shows up, it knows me. It trusts me. So when the fear comes, it goes, there's a tiger in a room. I can tell it, I get why you're here. Don't worry, there isn't. 
and it listens to me, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we push those parts away. And then when we're trying to tell it there's not a tiger in the room, it's like, I don't believe you, right? But what if a tiger comes? There might be a tiger. What about behind there? And being friends with these parts means we can take that message, say, thanks. I get why you're, I get why you're anxious. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, no tiger. Mm. takes time yeah. takes practice but and it's about consistency yeah it's about keep doing it and and the more you keep doing it and bringing it back and bringing it back and mm-hmm. bringing it back it becomes natural yeah you know um it's because I, I know that from my own experience through meditation i would have just kept on bringing myself back with the compassion and after a while then when the head was going off just during the day mm. i wouldn't be meditating it would like bring it back feel it the head like instead of yeah. snowballing with the, yeah. the, the mad thoughts mm-hmm. related to the way I was feeling, fear. If you feel fear, if thought, if the thought is related to fear, yeah. I feel fear. Then my mind has to think of more fearful thoughts to be able to go with the feeling yeah. that I have here, mm-hmm. and it just snowballs. And, and and it's so true that you can go through your whole life living like that mm-hmm. in complete fear or guilt or shame if you just keep it and and the stronger and the more you think of it the stronger and stronger yeah. and it impact it actually it imprints into your brain mm-hmm. you know it gets yeah. so so strong yeah you know these connections really glued together and they get mm-hmm. bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and um that's the stuff now i would have learned from yeah dispenser's uh-huh. work and it really really made a lot of sense mm. to me and i was like whoa Fuck, yeah. that's the way, that's the way yeah. I feel. And, you know, and I started, my life started to change then because of that, mm-hmm. you know, um, so. Well, I, I think that's a big piece as you're talking about like that acceptance, right? Is, is allowing those things to be there. I think we're so used to fighting them or resisting them that as you're talking about, like they just get stronger and stronger. Uh, and there's a story I always tell um, my clients about me. And I was mentioning this to you guys before we started too. One of the things that brought me to the world of psychology is I was a very, very anxious child. No real reason for it. No, no circumstance, just me. Um, and I always tell a, a story to clients because it's funny. And also I think it illustrates the point well of uh, when I was younger, you know, when you're in primary school, got English at nine o'clock, maths at 10 o'clock, that sort of thing. And I really like schedules and routines and being on time. Um, and at that, whatever day it was, 10 o'clock was maths. I was like, great, I'm going to get my maths notebooks out. Uh, surprise, we're actually having a party. We did really well on something. We had cupcakes. Great, exciting. The change of schedule last minute was so stressful for me as a child uh, that I cried so much that my mom had to come collect me. Uh, <laughs> and I always tell that to people because it's a very funny story. Uh, but I think it illustrates that really good point of like a good thing happened. So on paper, good thing happened. You should be happy. That anxiety was saying, tiger in the room, (laughs) you got to get out of here. You're not ready for this. And I always talk to people about that because that part, that anxiety is still in me today. So if I am running really late for something, right, or schedules change last minute, there is going to be a part of me that shows up. And you get zero. Yeah. And I know that. And and the benefit and the privilege of my work and years of studying all of this is not that I got rid of that part. And I think sometimes people feel to to have good mental health, you don't ever feel bad. It's not true. Mm. For me, I never will get rid of that part. I think it's just part of who I am. Use it to make yourself, make sure you're on time. Yeah, that's true. I'm on time for things and what it also means as well is when that part shows up it's just that i'm i've got a good enough relationship with it that it trusts me now so when it shows up now i say oh don't worry 
I, I get why you're here. You don't like this. I, oftentimes I talk to clients about being able to say, I don't like this, but I'm not in danger. Mm. And being able to trust that. And and for me, again, I, I still have to do that sometimes now where I'll mm. say, you're running late for that thing. Nobody's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to remind myself that. And just for people to know too, like that's all it takes. It, it's not, I have to magically feel good all the time. It's not I have to magically never feel stressed or sad or angry. Mm. It's just that I, I'm in a good relationship with them. Mm. Were you able to trace that back? Mm. Were you able to trace it back to where you actually got it from that kind of, that, that anxiety from yeah. the change? And yeah. Like even change can be a massive big thing uh-huh. for people as well. Like, you know, because yeah. when I look at my wife, you know, punctuality is oh, mm. second to none and, then my my little boy Jay, yeah. who's ten, yeah, the exact same, because their relationship would have been close, so close yeah. growing up. He's has to be there, no, yeah. and it has to be there. And uh-huh. me then and my daughter are <laughs> whatever. Oh, where's that again? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, uh-huh. it's like the two of us are complete the yeah. same. The two two separate fucking kind of uh, like they're there and they're yeah. they're organized, and these two here are fucking pure like scatty and. Uh, but very kind of what will be grand we'll do yeah. it tomorrow uh-huh. <laughs> you know yeah. it's it's so it's it's so different it's, yeah. and I suppose when you what my point was if you can trace it really back yeah. and and look at where where it came from and look at the person it kind of yeah. makes a little bit of sense then yeah. about where how things work in life yeah. and it's it's not something you were born with as yeah. we said earlier yeah. the child is born you know it's it's an amazing thing that we can trace things back when yeah. we get the awareness and yeah. the knowledge, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting that you talked about the tiger reference. Yeah. I, I remember I was at a talk and I always tried to reference people, you know, if, if I got it from somewhere else, yeah. I'd try and give them credit. But this guy's name is Fergus Heffernan. Now, mm. there was a lot of controversy later on around, you know, some of his uh, PhDs were the legitimate blah, blah. But I found it to be a very, uh, a very good talk. Yeah. But he spoke about that, Tiger, he spoke about who we evolved from, caveman, right? Mm. And uh, the function of the emotions and the feelings. And if you're uh, a hunter-gatherer, so you're out in nature and you're providing for your family and you're gathering, mm-hmm. you know, berries and seeds and you might kill an animal mm-hmm. and get the carcass, all these mm-hmm. things. Sometimes a bear will come across your path or a tiger or a lion and then it's fear and it's flight and you're gone mm-hmm. and it's survival mm-hmm. and then you get away and then you de-stress and you go on about your day Mm -hmm. but in this society we still have those basic functions Mm -hmm. but we have that tiger in the room 24 hours of the day Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. there's no running away from it Mm -hmm. whether it's bills it's relationships it's social media it's bullying in the workplace you know you're in debt um that fear and anxiety can mm-hmm. be with you the whole time mm-hmm. and we're so out of touch with nature in city life mm-hmm. anyway um that like we start to get all these psychological problems mm-hmm. then because fear anxiety nervousness and all mm-hmm. this just becomes a part of life and we don't get that chance to decompress out in nature mm-hmm. you know so um I, that's when you spoke about the tiger i remember yeah. that talk you know, and it doesn't make sense because like, yeah. we've so many stressors in our mm-hmm. lives today 
it's a it's I think really common in general, and you may have heard the term before hypervigilance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we've experienced trauma in any form, um, and if we haven't in different ways too, hypervigilance is really common in this way that it's looking out for that danger, it's looking out for that tiger all the time, and it's acting as if just in case it's here, I don't see it here, but just in case it's under the table, how will I respond? Uh, one of the biggest costs of that is it's exhausting, yeah. right? I'm always acting in the same way. If we all right mm-hmm. now were trying to record a podcast while a tiger was here, mm-hmm. uh, when we finish, all of us will probably sleep for 12 hours because <laughs> it's exhausting and, and it's really, really stressful. And what ends up happening then too is I don't have the ability to distinguish between a thing that I don't like, a thing that isn't good, and a thing that is currently dangerous to me, right? So you mentioned those things, right? That those daily stressors, they absolutely exist. And that's separate from tiger in the room, I'm going to die right now, Mm. which means I need to respond to those differently, right? If tiger in the room, we should all get out of here. That's the only thing we care about. Let's go. If I'm struggling with debt, running out of the room actually doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And and usually then what happens is I've run out of the room and the debt's waiting in the other room. I'm not going back to it. Mm -hmm. Right. I I don't want to think about that. And then it builds and I get more stress and I keep Mm -hmm. running. Right. Mm -hmm. And these things being able to say, okay, this is a problem. This is an issue. This is a stressor, uh, but I can stay in the room. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to learn to distinguish that from tiger in the room. Mm -hmm. It takes time and it takes practice. And I think, again, that's where it takes knowing yourself too, right? And being able to talk yourself through, I'm safe right now. I really, really don't like this thing I'm looking at, but I'm safe. I can stay here both physically, right? And mentally, Mm -hmm. I can stay in the room. Easier said than done, of course. But But human beings, they they rest with that uneasy uh, feeling. Like say for instance, there's a lion going after a gazelle. The gazelle will bolt. Yeah. Fight or flight, it will bolt. It will be mm-hmm. gone. Right. Two minutes later, that gazelle will be in the corner eating grass. Yeah. Chilled. The uh-huh. stress is gone completely down. Yeah. They're grand. They're not thinking about the tiger anymore. But yeah. us as human beings, we tend to hold on to mm. stuff mm-hmm. and sit with that feeling or of, of, of whatever the whatever it may be yeah. and we're kind of crippled with fear yeah. guilt but you know shame. if you had that gazelle that mm. got chased yeah. by a lion yeah. right and the gazelle gets away and the gazelle is eating grass imagine how that gazelle is on Facebook getting a lot of abuse mm-hmm. off the antelope mm-hmm. and the cheetah yeah. wants to get stuck in him I know that's yeah. what a human is like yeah. like we get away from one problem yeah. you open your phone there's another 30 people yeah. waiting for you there's emails there's bills that's the mm-hmm. problem you know and that's I don't know that's what I see as yeah. you know, a big problem and what differentiates us from animals yeah. I, I think a, a diff- now I'm not a zoologist so I don't know about gazelles in particular but but another piece of this a very right, elegant is, animal is, by all accounts yeah, <laughs> I, I, and I think the, the but the idea of a gazelle it, it's running away when it sees danger and when it doesn't see danger it goes okay it there's no danger whereas for me I can go what if the lion's over there, right? Or back. what if the, okay, what I have to go into work tomorrow. Was the lion going to be there? Mm-hmm. And I can start thinking about it. I, I'm sure you guys may or may not have experienced. I know I have. Uh, mm-hmm. When the anxieties really kick in, right? It starts running through ridiculous scenarios. Oh, A lot geez. of people talk to me about, right? Uh, for most people, anxiety will peak. It will peak over the day, but it peaks usually right before bed for people. And I know for myself, there's things I worry about that I say, oh my gosh, you have to email that person. They must be so upset with you. And I'll wake up in the morning and go, 
what are you talking about? Like, mm-hmm. You could just email them today. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But at that time, um, and I'm not sure if you're aware, too, of the biology of all of this, but when we are emotionally flooded, um, sort of uh, it, what's happening in our brain, now this is, it's more complex than this, right? But our cortisol levels go up, our adrenaline levels go up. That's that fight or flight mm-hmm. uh, or freeze response that's happening. Uh, what's happening sort of in our brain is our emotion center is really, really active. Um, that's also our aggression center. That's where the fight and fight or flight comes from. That's why oftentimes people will get into fights when stressed. Uh, that center gets activated because our brains like to conserve energy. Um, they lower the activity in what's called our prefrontal cortex, basically the logic part of your brain. So for all of us here talking, when we are stressed, if you take a scan of our brains, very, very simplified, we are all heightened emotionally and not thinking very logically. Mm. Every single one of us, which means that's why when I'm anxious, I have thoughts that when I am relaxed, I go, what was that? That was ridiculous, right? Mm. That was a wild thought or I was in an argument with someone. I'm like, why was I arguing about that? Yeah. I actually meant this thing or whatever else. Biologically, we we can't access that logic. We have to get that sort of back online before we can ask ourselves to be the gazelle chomping yeah. away. And there's you cannot retain any form of information yeah. at that state of being mm-hmm. because I, I know it. Turned because off. I, yeah, yeah, completely. When it's it's like the brain frequencies. You have the three layers of beta brainwave frequencies, mm-hmm. and when when you're at three, yeah, which is the fight or flight, yeah, you are completely. You can't retain anything at all. You mm-hmm. can't take in any information. You can't. You can't even focus. You're just. It's just. It's just yeah. like you're constantly on edge because the adrenaline is running yeah. through your body. Yeah. You know. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me. Website is lakeshoretherapy.org. Um, I'm on Instagram and I'm horrible at it. Uh, you're talking about social media. I'm miserable at it. Uh, but I'm at Lakeshore Dublin. If you want to get in touch there too. Is that where you're based? Yeah. Brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant, brilliant. And we link all your, your website in the description of the video and the podcast on Aircast, Spotify, Apple, etc. It's been lovely ta- Thank talking you for having to you. Me. Thank you Thanks very so much. much. And a uh, safe journey home. Thank you. Thanks very much. God Thanks, Thanks. Thanks. Shit. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.